as was mentioned by Anthony, we're going to honor all our mothers at the end of our service today. I don't have a traditional Mother's Day message. I want to continue my series through the book of Philippians. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We've spent uh, a number of weeks through the book of Philippians. And last week we finished up Philippians chapter 3. But today we're turning a corner and we're looking and beginning in chapter 4. And so just pull out those message notes and just follow along this morning. And let's pray together. Lord, I'm asking that you'd help me to uh, share this word. I'm asking, Lord, that you would just help, help me to apply it to our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I don't have to tell you, but life is very, very stressful. We have all kinds of worries. And did you know that extreme worry causes all kinds of physical problems? Headaches and backaches and stomach problems. Uh, extreme worry has a tendency to cause heart problems. Worry leads to all kinds of things in our life, worry and stress. Did you know, I heard this last week, that the average person... The average person in a year will spend at least eight hours looking for things that are temporarily lost. Did you know that? That's frustrating. How many of you have ever misplaced your car keys? How many of you ever misplaced your glasses? That is really frustrating when you misplace your glasses. How many of you ever misplaced your cell phone? How many of you ever misplaced your kids? Yeah. Did you know, somebody said this, somebody said this, that the reason, the reason God gives babies to young people is because older people would forget where they left them. They would forget where they left them. Uh, I was, I, I heard this story this last week. There was this uh, man that was walking through the airport and he was on a, on a way uh, to Boston, Boston, and on this particular flight. And he saw a sign on the wall in the terminal, terminal wall. And it, it piqued his curiosity. And the sign said, predict your future. Know your future. Know all about you for 25 cents. And so he was intrigued by this. So he went over and he put a quarter into this uh, slot. And the computer uh, read out, said, your name is John Smith. And you're on 220 flight to Boston. He couldn't believe it. How could this thing know who he was and what flight he was on? And he was so uh, overwhelmed with this, he saw a friend of his walking down uh, nearby and he motioned him over and he said, watch what happens here. And he put a quarter in again and sure enough, the computer read out, you are John Smith and you're on flight 220 to Boston. And his friend kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't know what's going on and just kind of walked away. And he, he was so enthralled with this, he wanted to do it again. And he looked around for a quarter and couldn't find a quarter. So he went down to where the newsstand was at. But there was a long line to get changed to do it again. And, and so he was delayed a little bit. And so he walked back and he put the quarter in this time. And this time the computer said, our computer read out to him, your name is John Smith. You just missed your flight 220 to Boston. I want, I want to talk to you because I believe that this particular passage of Scripture is the key to living life in the 21st century. It's the key to reducing stress in your life. How many of you would say that you have stressful lives? 
Everybody. Everybody. We're talking about this morning about reducing stress in our lives. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul comes back to this theme that he's talked about previously. He comes back to this theme. And in verse 4, look at it with me. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And that's where we get the word joy because rejoice is a derivative of the word joy. Is it possible, as the Apostle Paul continually tells us, to have continual joy in our lives? Is it possible to live a joy-filled life on a regular basis? He says, I say it again, rejoice. Now, if you had to take a poll this morning, many people would unfortunately say, I don't really know about what he's talking about because my life is so stressed. There's so much stress and there's so many things happening in my life that I kind of had joyful moments in my life. But to be honest with you, Pastor Ron, my life is more of an endurance. My life is more of an endurance than a life of joy. I get up in the morning, I have things to do, and I might have a little bit of happiness, but if the truth were to be known, not very much joy in my life. What's happening? Well, I think this stress is stealing our joy. And I want to give you something that I learned years ago and that's helped me in my life. It doesn't mean that I've arrived because this message, quite frankly, is for me this morning as well. How do you do this? How do you reduce this stress in your life? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us uh, four statements on how to manage your stress. Step number one has to do with worry about nothing. Worry about nothing. Say it together. Worry about nothing. One more time. Worry about nothing. Look at verse 6 with me. Do not be anxious. That's the derivative of worry. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. What is it? About anything, nothing at all. Another translation says, do not fret or have anxiety. The King James Version says this, be careful for nothing. This idea of worry is a killjoy. This idea of worry is a source of stress. Did you know that Smithsonian Magazine a number of years ago called the age that we live in the age of anxiety and the age of worry and the age of stress? You see, there are macro worries, macro worries that we, the whole world worries about. We worry about what's happening in Russia and we worry about what's happening in the Ukraine. And there are micro worries that each individual's each, each one of us in our own world worry about. We worry about our own finances. We worry about our relationships with our children, our relationships with, uh, with other people. We worry about our businesses. We worry about uh, finances. We worry about all of these things. We have macro worries, and then we have micro worries that are very personal to us. Here's a definition. Here's a definition of worry. Here's a definition of it. Worry is assuming responsibility, worry is assuming responsibility that God never intended for me to have. It is assuming responsibility for for things that God never intended for me to have. It's playing God and it's trying to control the uncontrollable. 
And you, you look in your message notes and you see that there, Dr. Walter Calvert has done studies on worries and he dis, he's discovered, this is, this is going to blow your mind, that 92% statistical average, 9 out of 10 things that you worry about, whether it's your health, whether it's the past, whether it's the weather, whether it's your work-related, nine over 90%, 92% of the things you worry about never, ever comes to pass, never, ever comes to fruition. 30% of our worries concern the past, 40% about our future, 12% of our worries are needless worries about your health, 10% of your worries are insignificant or petty concerns, and only 8%, isn't that amazing? Only 8% of what you worry about ever comes to fruition. Isn't it true? For most of us, for most of the time, worry is absolutely needless. Somebody has said, worry is like stewing without doing. It's like being in a rocking chair and no going no place at all. It's like a, a, a cow chewing its cud over and over and over again, working ourselves up, working ourselves up, thinking that it's the, it's the absolute worst, thinking it's the most terrible, awful thing. We're waiting to get a doctor's visit and we're thinking that we really, really have that terrible and awful disease. And we go into the doctor and he gives us a clean bill of health. We worry that we're not going to be able to make the bills and all of a sudden an extra check comes in someplace or an extra a job comes in and we're able to pay the bills. Worry about nothing. Worry about nothing. The Bible says do not worry about anything. Now, I believe that this is a commandment. You say, Pastor Ron, where do you get that? Well, it's in the Bible. It says, worry about nothing. And this is the most difficult commandment for me and for you to obey. But I think it's a commandment. I think the scripture indicates here and elsewhere, don't worry about anything. You say, Pastor Ron, what's anything? Anything. Absolutely anything. Now, did you know that some people are born warriors? They, they have the ability to find a problem in every solution. They look at the negative. They look at the bad. And Jesus indicated that worry is not natural. In Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and don't worry about what the pagan people worry about, about food and clothing and shelter. In fact, Jesus also said in Matthew 6, 34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Here's an insight to what we're talking about here. Worry about nothing. Here's the insight. In order to reduce stress, we have to live one day at a time. The past is already gone. The future hasn't arrived, but we're talking about living one day at a time. As somebody has said, inch by inch, life's a cinch, but yard by yard, life is hard. Life is hard. Life is hard. And this is what, this is what the Apostle Paul was saying. Now, he is in prison. Remember, he is waiting to be executed by Nero himself. He's writing this letter, and he's saying, worry about nothing. It just blows my mind. Let's go on here. Step number two. So worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Worry about, uh, worry about nothing. Pray about everything. I want you to look at the second part of verse six with me. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. What does that word everything mean? It means all by prayer. With petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. God says, don't panic, pray. Don't worry, pray. Don't give in to that white knuckle anxiety, pray. We're talking about the principle of replacement. God always has a better thing to replace it with something else. Replace worry with prayer. And notice he specifically says, in everything. Now, some people think that God is only interested in, quote, religious things. That's not true. God wants us to pray about every single detail of our life. If I'm in school, if I'm in grammar school, if I'm in high school, I'm I'm a child, a a teenager, I want to pray about my studies. I want to pray about that God would help me in, in, in that particular area. I want to pray about my athletics if I'm a student. If I'm an adult, I want to pray about every single area. I want to pray about my finances. I want to pray about my health. I want to pray about my children. And notice it says petition. In everything, petition. Now, what does that word petition mean? It means in living color. It means in detail. You get very, very specific with God. Tell him exactly what you want and tell him exactly what you need. Don't pray general, vague prayers, but be specific. God, I'm under stress because Billy or Barbara is saying these things about me and help me to be loving and kind and if need be, go to them and clear this up. Give me the wisdom to know what to say to them. Be very, very specific with your prayer requests. Now, I want you to notice that the Phillips translation says, when you pray, tell God every detail of your need. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough what? To pray about. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, notice, unload all of your worries. I like that, that, that translation. It says, unload, give, cast all your worries on him since he's looking out after you. I, I read a while back, that an insurance company did a major study and they learned that people who attend church once a week lives on the average of five to seven years longer than the average person who does not attend church on a regular basis. Why? Perhaps, perhaps, I don't know all the reasons why, but perhaps people who attend church every week are more likely to pray than to worry. Because we know that excessive worry and excessive anxiety takes years off of your life. It does. God says, unload all of your worries on him. The God who gave us, the God who gave us each individual thumbprints. The God who gave us each individual voices. The God who gave individual snowflakes. That's the same God who can handle all the details in your life. Philip's translation says, you can throw the whole weight of your anxiety upon him, for you are his personal concern. Well, here's the insight I want to share with you. There's no problem too big for God's concern. There's no problem too big for God's concern or too small for God's concern. He deals with all the big problems and he also deals with all of the larger problems. I just got to tell you, I 
I heard I heard this last week, this story, and it's funny to me. It may not be that funny to you, but just bear with me, okay? There's this minister, and he went bear hunting, and he never saw a single track, never saw a single bear paw, and he, hour after hour, he's bear hunting, you know? And he got so frustrated with this that he just threw his rifle down, and he went down to the local stream, down to the local stream, and he's getting a drink of water there. No, he isn't. I guess he, you got to purify the water first, right around here. <clears throat> but but he, but he's at the stream, and all of a sudden he saw this huge grizzly bear running toward him, 100 miles an hour, so to speak. And and so he just had time to pray a prick, prick, uh, quick prayer, and he said, "Lord Jesus, I need protection. Please convert this bear to be a Christian." And miraculously, the bear froze in its tracks and threw its paws up in the air and said, Lord, thank you for the food I'm about to eat. (laughs) I told you that was a stretch. We're, We're to pray about what? Everything. We're to pray about everything. Everything. James chapter 4. Verse 2, you have not because you ask not. 20 times in the New Testament, we're told to ask, 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 ask. Well, we're talking about how to get rid of anxiety. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. And I want you to notice the third thing that we see in this particular passage of Scripture. Paul says, thank God for all things. Thank God for all things. Look at this, the third part of verse 6 there. He says, in everything with thanksgiving in everything with thanksgiving the good news translation says always asking him with a thankful heart what are we talking about we're talking about the attitude of gratitude and this is the healthiest human emotion that i believe in the entire world is having a grateful heart is being thankful did you know that a grateful heart this attitude of gratitude, actually, they've done studies, it increases your in- immunities. It's a physical benefit to express the attitude of gratitude. Ungrateful people, unfortunately, are unhappy people. And nothing ever satisfies. Nef- nothing's ever good enough. They are the when and then people that we talked about in my first message. Remember? When I graduate from high school, then I'll be happy. When I graduate from college, then I'll be happy. When I get married, then I'll be happy. When I get rid of this problem over here, then I'll be happy. The problem is, is that we don't live a problem-free life. If we're waiting all the time for things to happen, uh, for us to be happy, we're never going to be happy. And so we're to have the attitude of gratitude even in the midst of our circumstances, even in the midst of things that we're facing in our life. And it's the healthiest Way to live life. Now, I often tell people, when I talk about depression, we all have different understandings of depression. And I want to apologize right here, right now, for what I talked about last week. I opened up with that funny humor story story about the psychiatric hotline. And I apologize for that. Because I understand that that wasn't something to make, be make light of. And I'm sorry that I did that. But when we talk about depression... We have all different kinds of terminology. Did you know that there is what is called endogenous depression, which is chemical orientated, and there's really nothing that we can do about that type of depression except to take some sort of uh, medication for that. 
But there's also what is called reactive or external depression where we react to losses in our life. And the greater the loss that we have, usually the greater the depression. And most of depression is reactive type of depression. But something happens when we react and we don't grieve that loss and all of a sudden we go through this and through this and somehow, sometimes it becomes endogenous. I say all that to say, if it is reactive depression and we're responding to some sort of loss in our life, I have found personally and other people have found help by simply making a list of 50 things that you are grateful for. 50 things that you're grateful for. When you're grateful, often it gets the problem off of you and it gets the focus off of you and it gets the focus off of you and on the benefits in your life. And we have so much to be grateful for. I just made a, a list this morning. It wasn't a comprehensive list. Just a three or four things quickly off the top of my head. You don't know how grateful I am for a loving, supportive wife. She goes through a lot as a pastor's wife. And she's very loving and she's very kind and she's very supportive. I appreciate my wife. When I see my kids, they never fail. They're grown men. They never fail to give me a hug and sometimes a kiss. I'm grateful for my kids. I'm grateful for the blue sky. Yes, we had some blue sky yesterday. We had some rainy weather, but I was grateful. And I'm grateful when I walk up Airport Road. I do that every once in a while. I walk up Airport Road and I look around and I see the vistas. We live in a beautiful place. And I'm also grateful for you folks, my church family. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a donut I had the other day. My wife doesn't even know it. But on Monday, sometimes I go down and get a donut. <laughs> this is all coming out right now. <laughs> but, I, you know, with the chocolate on top and the little maple thing in the center, and sometimes it's got that gooey stuff in the center, man, that thing just is great. I, I'm, I, I'm thankful for Sammy's pies. She makes coconut cream pie and peanut butter chocolate, can you imagine peanut butter chocolate bottom pie? She made that the other day, and she came up to me and said, Pastor Ron, here are two slices for you. <laughs> I told her, I said, Sammy, I, we had an important meeting to go to, so I saved the pie for later. And so I had two pieces, and with a big glass of milk, that evening for dinner. And I enjoyed it. It was great. We have so many things, so many things to be grateful for. So make a list. Make a list of all these things. Develop this attitude of gratitude and watch your stress level go down. Watch it go down. Take the eyes off your problem. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's God's will for us. So we're talking about reducing stress. And one part of it is, is to give thanks in all circumstances. 
Thank God for all things. Here's the insight. There's always something to be grateful for. There's always something to be grateful for. And whenever I think of the attitude, attitude uh, whenever I think of the attitude of gratitude, I'm always reminded, I don't know why, I guess it just hit me at a certain point in my life when I was pastoring in Missoula, Montana, and like some of you, I was exposed to Anne of Green Gables and Anne of Avalee on DVD, not CD, wait, no, VHS tape. And I watched that. I never read the books, but I watched the movies. Here is this young girl, redheaded, freckles all over her face. Her parents died at early age. She was raised in an orphanage. They found adoptive parents for her. The adoptive parents that she got used her as slave labor and as a housekeeper. She finally got placed in another home with an elderly couple, a, uh, a, a brother and a sister. And throughout all of her life, according to the book and according to the movie I saw, Anne surely did not look at the cup half empty. She always looked at the cup half full. And that attitude brought her a long ways. So here she is. She's graduated from college and she wants to become a teacher. And so she ends up in this community called Avonlea. And the first day, guess who she meets? The most bitter, shriveled up, spinster, uh, single teacher that you would ever meet. Miss Pritchard. And Miss Pritchard gives Anne Shirley the worst time, day after day, week after week. And Anne Shirley continues to respond with the cup half full. And finally, when Miss Pritchard got tired of her bitterness and the way that she was acting, she came to Anne Shirley one day and she said, I don't understand it. How do you do this, Anne? What's happening? And uh, Anne Shirley said, you're all prickles and thorns. And she said in my paraphrase, she said, I choose to see the good and you don't. And then she invited her to Green Gables that summer and she was exposed to Miranda and her, her, um, her brother and, and uh, it helped change her life. I choose to see the positive. I choose to see the cup half full and the cup not half empty. This, this leads me to step number four. Think about right things. Think about right things. We're talking about reducing stress in our life. Did you know that in order to reduce stress in life, you must change the way you think? And, and the, stress, the, stress in your, the stress is in yourself, not outside. Because the Bible indicates that our minds are a special gift from God. Our minds are capable of storing one trillion thoughts. It can handle enormous things. You have been given a God by God the freedom to choose what you think about. You have been given by God the freedom to choose what you think about. And notice what the Apostle Paul says that we're to think about. Look at verse 8 with me. Look at it with me. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What are we to think about? Whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, pure, whatever is praiseworthy. Think on these things. Think about such things. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying to us is we need to change what we think about. We need to choose to think about admirable things, positive things. Um, and and what, what I see happening, and it's happened in my life before too, so I'm not pointing fingers at you, but what I see happening is, is that often we're indiscriminate. Listen, we're indiscriminate about what we allow into our minds through television or through media or through movies or through books. We're indiscriminate. And these things can be often be trashy. They can be garbage. And the reading materials, and, and even the songs can be real negative. I mean, Hank Aaron's, uh, no, Hank Williams' song, Your Cheating Heart, think about the lyrics to that song. Honky Tonk Blues. I feel so sad because my dog died and I didn't get the elk that I wanted and here I am at Smith's Bar and I'm drunk all over the place and I'm having six beers and I'm having all kinds of whiskey and I am just not happy about my life. I mean, come on now. Gosh. I'd be depressed too if I listened to that stuff all day. <laughs> so I'll say it one more time. Many people, even Christians, are totally indiscriminate about what they allow to enter in their minds. And they wonder why they're so depressed. Another translation says, fill your mind, fill your mind with those things. Again, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy. Fill your mind with these things. The Good News Translation says, fix your mind on them. And the Apostle Paul is talking about a deliberate conscience choice. A deliberate conscience choice. So you change the channels of your mind. When a thought comes into your mind, you want to go through these filters. Is it noble? Is it true? Is it right? Is it praiseworthy? You have to challenge your thoughts. You have to challenge what comes to your mind because often the thoughts are not only coming from our culture and they're not coming from our world, but we know that old Snagletooth can also plant thoughts in our mind. So we have to challenge those thoughts. We have to do that. So there are eight word filters, so to speak, in verse 8. Look at, uh, look, listen to Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinketh in their heart, so he becomes. So again, what dominates our mind? What dominates our mind? What do you think about most? Here's the insight. Whatever I think about, I'm becoming. Whatever I think about, I'm becoming. Because what I think about affects my behavior. I, uh, I read this years ago. And it, this is an illustration of what we're talking about, the power 
of what we think about and how what we think about and what we say to others, how that all affects. When a young lady, when a young lady by the name of Cheryl Pruitt hung around her father's small country grocery store almost every single day, she was greeted by the milkman who would come in while she was sitting on the stool next to the counter and he would greet her with these words. How's my little Miss America today? How's my little Miss America today? At first, Cheryl Pruitt giggled, but eventually she became very, very comfortable with it and even liked it a little. Every day he would do this. It became a ritual. Soon that milkman's greeting became a childhood fantasy and then a teenage dream. Finally, it became a goal. And in 1980, if you can believe it, on the stage in Atlantic City, she was crowned Miss America, and she told the newspaper it all started way back when, when the milkman would say, how's my little Miss America today? Our thoughts are very, very powerful. And what we say to other people are very, very powerful. You say, Pastor Ron, worry about nothing, pray about everything, have a thankful heart, thank God for all things, dwell on what is lovely and pure and praiseworthy. What's the result of that? I want you to notice. I want you to notice. Look at it with me. Verse 8. Uh, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if any excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Notice verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received, he for me, and see me put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. God's peace, God's presence will guard your heart. Not stress, not anxiety, not extreme worry. God's peace. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I, I want to ask you some questions. Please, whatever heads bowed this morning. <clears throat> and only you can answer these questions. What's got you worried? Really? Your finances? The economy? Maybe it's your health? Maybe it's your marriage? Your kids? Your career? Maybe you're a young person and, and you're, you're worried about your future. You don't know what's going to happen after high school. What makes you anxious? What raises the stress level in your life? Your parents? How do you normally respond to stress? What's your favorite pattern? Do you just stew and stew or 
do you blow like a volcano or or try to you know go down that path of destruction, alcohol, drugs, whatever. This is God's alternative to dealing with stress. Again, first Peter five seven. Throw your whole weight of your concern on God because He considers you His personal concern. Isn't that great? Because Jesus carried your sins on the cross, He will carry your stress in the present. So you've got to give it to Him. Don't worry. Don't be concerned. Uh, I mean, be concerned, but don't worry. And there's a difference. And we didn't talk about it, but there is a difference. You can be concerned. But we're talking about don't give in to extreme worry, white-knuckled anxiety. Pray. Don't worry, but pray. Say, Lord, just say to him, if you'd like to pray with me this morning, to say to yourself, forgive me for taking control of things beyond my control. That's what often worry is. Forgive me for taking control of things beyond my control. I cannot change the weather. I can't change the past. I cannot change a person against his or her will. I release these things one more time in your hands. Just say to him, I release these things one more time in your hands. Thanksgiving. Only you can answer the question, but are you constantly negative? If so, you create, you create stress. I don't know how you do it, but with God's help you can. Develop the attitude of gratitude. Say to the Lord, I so much want to be grateful, Lord. I, I so much want to be grateful for, and you fill in the blank. Perhaps you could be, say, I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my kids. I, I'm grateful for my spouse. I'm grateful for my job. I'm grateful for my friends. Lord, there's always something to be thankful for. Help me. Help me to focus on what those things are. My thought life. What do you think about? What do you read? What do you watch? If you need to, just say it to the Lord. Be sincere. Don't be disingenuous. But Lord, forgive me for not being more discriminate. Allowing garbage in. Help me to be, help me to have a filter. Help me to fill my mind with whatever is positive, whatever is right, whatever is true. To dwell on those things. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. If I could please have our ushers come forward this time. Let's pray together. Lord, bless this offering. Thank you for it. In Christ's name again we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Mara. I'm going to hang around up front here, and uh, if there's anything that you're worried about and you need help with, uh, and you want me or somebody else to pray with you about, you have access to me, and uh, we want you to know that our altars will be open. Uh, we're not going to have an altar call per se, but after you're dismissed, if anybody wants to come up here, uh, we'll, we'll pray with you and for you. Let's stand, shall we please? Thank <laughs> you.